So God is on the move today, and I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to Philippians chapter 4 as we start a short two-week series uh, called Game Changer, just how Philippians 4 is a game changer for us in our hearts and in our minds and in the application of the gospel. Two weeks, and then believe it or not, we start Advent. Uh, And so the holidays are upon us. And before we get there, we want to spend a couple of weeks in Philippians 4, this really important passage, because uh, as we've already talked about today, we live in anxious times. As a matter of fact, anxiety is the number one health crisis in America today. Anxiety disorders comprise the most common form of mental illness in our culture. 18% of Americans today, American adults, have been diagnosed with some kind of anxiety disorder. But get this, 100% of us worry every day, don't we? I know that I do. And so we fret, we fear. Even when we're having, quote, fun, a lot of times our joy is robbed because worry never seems to take a vacation. So even when we get a break, we're worried about what it's going to be like when we come home. We worry about what's coming next. So as a result, counseling practices are full and busy. There are entire industries now devoted to how nutrition and exercise and rest and good habits can help you handle stress. Mental health has rightly so become a major focus in our culture and even in our churches. Use wisely all of these things can be good tools from the Lord that help us cope. But medical treatment alone is incapable of reaching the depths of the soul. For that we need what the choir just sang. We need Jesus. And so we need anchored in the truth that Jesus gave us. We need anchored in biblical truth. And so this probably won't help your anxiety a lot this morning. But you need to know that big tech is watching you, right? You realize that? Everything you click on, every page you open, everything you like, everything you comment on, big tech is watching. And so it was interesting, a couple of years ago, I ran across an article where Amazon on their Kindle reader had identified what passages of books people highlight the most. Interestingly enough, people also have the Bible on Kindle. And so they listed which Bible passages were highlighted the most frequently. Now, most of us would think of the obvious choices, John three sixteen, 16, uh, the 23rd Psalm, the Lord's Prayer out of Matthew chapter 6. But get this, the most frequently highlighted passage in the Bible by Kindle users is the passage that we're about to read today. Don't be anxious for anything. I think that's because we live in an anxious world and people are looking to, clinging to these words or hope. So we're going to drill down into these words for us today as we look at the imperatives that Paul gave us as he followed Christ. Those imperatives that come with a promise. That promise is that we can have peace even in the middle of our anxious times. Will you stand with me in honor of God's word as we read from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, 
If there's any moral excellence and if there is anything praiseworthy, dwell on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me. And the peace of God will be with you. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Pray with me this morning. Lord, we live in anxious times. We confess it. All of us are prone to worry. We all give in to fear. Today, rooted in your timeless word, may we see the antidote to our worry is not more worry, but more Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated this morning. So Philippians is one of Paul's most interesting letters to me. His context, well, he was under house arrest in Rome in about A.D. 62. He was awaiting news of what his outcome, what his destiny would be at the hands of the Romans. And so there was a church in Philippi that had sent a friend with some money to be able to help out Paul. And so what Paul is really writing is an extended thank you note. That's what the letter to the Philippians is. And of course, like a good preacher, Paul's going to use this as an opportunity to say some other things as well. But I can relate to Paul and his love for this congregation because as a thank you, you guys honored me for 20 years of service to our church last week, and I'm profoundly grateful. Uh, You guys just showered me with words and encouragement and cards and texts and calls. So thank you so much for encouraging me as your pastor. And certainly, as Paul said, I I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. I thank God for you because, as I've told many people, I couldn't do it if I didn't lead a great team, if we didn't have a great church. And so thank you guys. Paul really loved this church at Philippi, and I really love you guys. And just like Paul... I'm going to take advantage of the moment, right? Uh, And be able to walk out some of the things that he shared because Paul was passionate about this church and he was passionate about helping them to practically see how the gospel would impact their lives. Because Paul was in a difficult circumstance, it's really interesting to me that this is probably his most joyful letter. And so he models something for us that's super important in our world today. That joy, right, doesn't have to be a part of our circumstances. That joy, that our circumstances might weigh us down. But that God's joy, what we can have in Christ is greater. And so that's really the theme of this entire little letter to the Philippians, these four chapters, that only in Christ is true joy and true peace found. And so here's where we begin today with just a simple, humble acknowledgement. Here's our first point. I want to put it on the screen for you, that we are all searching for peace in an anxious world. And Paul knew that. He was searching for it. He knew the church of Philippi was searching for it. He knew that every generation of believers would be looking for peace in an anxious world. This word translated worry or divide in Greek is found several times in the New Testament. And it means to be divided. It's an important word because even the word itself is instructive to us. It doesn't carry the same implications for us in English. And so when we go back to that original language, we realize that the the Bible is communicating to us that when we worry, our hearts and our lives are divided. And what happens to a house divided? It will not stand. Right? We become what the Bible calls double-minded. And so there's a part of our brain that knows, we're confident, right? God's got this, God's with me, just like you saw in the video. We know the verses, he won't leave me or forsake me. And yet, health, money, family, kids, stress, 
politics, on and on the list could go. And so we're constantly divided between the two. As a matter of fact, it's interesting that Paul uses this word because Jesus used it as well. For a little context, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6 in your Bibles. Because I feel like we need to read this passage today. If you don't hear my words, hear the words of Jesus today. Because Jesus saw fit to use a good chunk of the Sermon on the Mount to talk about worry. And so we need to acknowledge that Jesus understood that this would be a unique challenge, a unique temptation and trial for us. And I really believe that written about 30 years later, Paul was applying what Jesus had taught. And so Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, Therefore, ah, my favorite word, Therefore I tell you, authority, Jesus speaking with authority, don't worry about your life. Don't be divided in your mind and in your heart. Don't worry about your life, what you'll eat or what you'll drink or about your body or what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Uses a little logic. Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Martin Luther, the famous pastor and reformer, liked to say, the birds make excellent preachers. Because when you see them, you're reminded of this passage, of this truth. If God takes care of his creation, won't he take care of you? Verse 27, more logic. Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? All worry does is it weights us down. It doesn't add anything to our life. It only takes away. And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. And I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. Has anybody loved the fall colors this year? The trees? I mean, it's magnificent. We had later rain this year. We're usually pretty dry in September. Instead, we got a lot of rain. So the, the colors are just stunning to me this year. What a reminder. If God colors the trees, not because he has to, but because he wants to, won't God take care of you as well? Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God closes the, gra- closes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, O oh, you of little faith? So don't worry. Don't be divided. Saying, what will we eat or what will we drink or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. And your heavenly Father knows what you need. Just be reminded of that. Whatever your need is today that you walked in here with, Your father knows. He knows what you need. As a matter of fact, he knows what you need on a deeper level than even you do. He knows what you need. So do what? But seek first the kingdom of God. That means, by the way, keep seeking. Continually seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these things will be provided for you. Therefore, and he says it again, don't worry. Don't be divided about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You see, Jesus knew we were going to need these words. He knew that as our hearts and lives engaged a broken, fractured, sinful world, the sin in our own lives, that we were continually going to be pulled and divided. He knew that our hearts and minds were going to be pulled in two directions all of the time, and we needed to come back to his simple command. And it is a command to not worry. So understand, we are all searching for peace in an anxious world. Paul is not writing this letter to the Philippians from an ivory tower. He's not writing it from his pastoral study. 
He's not writing it from a beach house. He's writing it from house arrest. He literally, his life is hanging in the balance as he awaits to hear the verdict that's going to be placed upon him. And yet in this moment, he can write a joyful letter. Why? Because he belie- I believe he took the words of Jesus and he put them into practice in his life. Which leads us to the second point and brings us back to Philippians chapter 2. Our second point this morning is this. Worry divides us as we've established, but it's the peace of God that can make us whole. Worry divides us, but it's the peace of God that can make us whole. And so in verses 4 through 7 here, we are going to get, we're going to get three imperatives or commands And we're getting to get a promise. So let's walk these out. The first one Paul repeats for effect. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Anybody sing the little song as a kid, right? Growing up in church. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. (laughs) Yes. Thank you whoever clapped. See, it's just just like conditioned in us who grew up in church. We can't help ourselves. I know it's a Baptist church. I'm going to clap anyway, right? Because that's where we clap in the song. What's funny to me, most of the churches, if I'm just transparent, that I grew up in, we didn't exactly sing that song as joyfully as we should. It's kind of like, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Right? (laughs) We we were kind of half-hearted about it. Paul's saying, don't be half-hearted about your joy. But find joy in the Lord. It's actually a command. It's an imperative. Now let's be clear. It doesn't mean that every day we feel like rejoicing. It doesn't mean that as we're dealing with our burdens and stress and the way to life that every day we jump out of bed where excited. It doesn't mean that Paul is skipping around his cell or where he's under house arrest, right? Singing that little song. But what it means is that we have to fight for our joy. What it means is that in the gospel, we recognize that we have a deep, deep well of resources that God has given us. George Mueller, who is the man who founded and established orphanages throughout Britain during one of its darkest times. Social systems had collapsed. It was a huge crisis in which there were orphans everywhere. And he began the hard work of establishing a series of orphanages in Britain. And he wrote this, faced with such challenges, he said, My first great and primary business of each day is to make my soul happy in the Lord. He knew that before he would be able to minister to these hurting boys, before he would be able to to challenge the, the, the social brokenness, of Great Britain, that his heart needed to be joyful in the Lord, that he needed to start from that place being full of the Lord, full of joy, so that he could have the strength that he needed to share the hope of Christ with others. Paul says that joy is a choice that we make, and he is our example. One commentator said this, and I love this. Listen to this. He said, most people think you get joy when you get what you desire. That's certainly the way that our culture defines joy, right? What do you want? When you get it, it's joy. How long does that joy last when you get what you want? Not very long. It's momentary, isn't it? So our culture thinks that you get joy when you get what you desire. But real joy comes when you realize that you don't get what you deserve. You see, real joy comes in the gospel. When you recognize, listen, I don't deserve anything good. But instead, God rescued me. And so, because I don't get what I deserve, right? My my starting point every day as I preach the gospel to myself is a posture of joy because God has been abundantly good to me. 
And so recognizing God's goodness, now I engage the struggles of the day. Now I face the challenges. It's a condition that we cultivate. Now, again, don't be inauthentic, but recognize the deep well of joy that you have available to you in the gospel that is deeper than your circumstances. So command one, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. One more time, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Yes, there it is. It's okay to clap in church, people. All right, it's all good. Imperative number two, be gracious. I think Paul throws this one in because he recognizes it's easy for us to forget to be gracious to others. And that's a sign that what? We've forgotten that God was first gracious to us. So if we recognize, right, what I deserve is to be cut off from God, but God was gracious to me even when I didn't deserve it. That's what grace is. Unmerited favor. Something I didn't earn, something I didn't achieve. But God was gracious to me. So do you know what that means? I need to be gracious to others. He says, let your graciousness be known to who? All. So you recognize you have bad days. Guess what? That person at the fast food restaurant, they might be having a bad day too. That guy, let me really challenge your faith here. That guy in traffic in front of you or behind you, right? He might be having a bad day too. That challenges my sanctification all the time. But be gracious. Let that be known to all. Why? Because it's evident that your life has been changed. Here Paul says the Lord is near. So what does he mean by that? Is Jesus close or does he mean Jesus is about return? Both. (laughs) I think both are in view there. Remember that Jesus is with you so that you can be gracious to others. Remember there's an urgency because he is going to return. So the way that we live matters. So imperative one, rejoice. Imperative two, be gracious. Imperative three, Paul says what? Don't worry. There it is. Don't be anxious. Don't be divided. That's the third imperative. In Proverbs, and it's timeless wisdom, it tells us in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 25, that anxiety, worry, weighs down a man's heart. Every time we are anxious, every time we worry, we put a weight upon ourselves that God doesn't want us to carry. We bear ourselves down with burdens. When he says, bring those burdens to me, I want to share them with you. And to that point, there's a little illustration that I thought of this week, thinking about the burdens that we carry. Michelle's going to hand me my wife's hiking backpack. This is her uh, backpacking backpack. It's like 20-something liters. And this is what my wife and the ladies that she hikes with, she, she is, let me, let's just go ahead and establish this. My wife is tougher than I am. All right? She goes out. And for a week, we'll hike on the Appalachian Trail, and she will have everything that they need to survive in this pack right here. She tries to get it to where it weighs about 30 pounds. Some of you carry purses into church today that weigh more than 30 pounds, all right? And so these ladies are intentional and careful about everything that they put into this pack. And so weeks leading up to the trip, they'll lay out, think about it, all of their clothes have to go in this pack. All of their shelter has to go in this pack. Their sleeping bag has to go in this pack. And their food and supplies all have to go in this pack. They're like turtles. It's incredible, right? Carrying their homes around with them on their back for an entire week at a time. It's actually pretty amazing. So she will lay out all of the stuff that she thinks she needs to take. And then there's this process where she will weigh it. They have a saying, every ounce counts. 
And so she'll try to very, very carefully be sure that she weighs things out. They sell these ultralight things now, right? So made out of titanium and stuff like that. It's why there's the joke. Backpacking, it's where you spend a small fortune to live like a homeless person. All this incredible gear. They have a stove that's like this big, right? It attaches to a little canister that's this big. It's amazing. Let me give you one example. My wife will have all her stuff laid out, right? All her food. She likes to drink tea, so she has her tea. But obviously, you don't want to take sugar. It kind of weighs a lot, and so she likes honey. She had this little kind of container of honey, and she was like, it just weighs too much. And so one day, she came home from Chick-fil-A. Do you know they have honey in packets at Chick-fil-A? I'm going to need you to uh, grab a few of those every time that you're in, right? Why? Because every ounce counts. If you're going to be hiking 12 to 18 miles a day, you're going to feel every bit of weight that you put inside of this pack. So I want you to think about this. So what Paul's telling us, every time we're anxious, every time we worry, we put something else in our pack and we carry it around. We lug it around with us. And some of you have so much anxiety. You have so much fear. You have so many things in your pack that it becomes what? difficult to move forward because you're weighted down. And so you quit, right? You just stop. Here's what Paul is telling us in this passage. Says, how? What's our remedy? With prayer, right? With prayer in thanksgiving, bring your requests to God. And in that moment, right, it's not that the anxiety or the fear, it's not that it doesn't exist, but it's that you don't have to carry it alone anymore. You get to hand that pack to God and say, here you go, will you help me with this? If you've ever been hiking and carrying a heavy pack and somebody says, hey, let me carry that for the next mile. You're like, you want to be tough and be like, no, I'm cool. Actually, you're like, thank you. And that's exactly what's offered us in prayer. And so what a beautiful picture that Paul paints for us of the reality for you and I that we can bring these things to the Lord in prayer and we don't have to carry those all by ourselves anymore. So we have three imperatives. Rejoice, be gracious, don't worry, don't divide yourself. And then what happens? What is the promise? Verse seven, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. What an incredible verse. Peace, not only the absence of strife, but the fullness of life. Rooted deep in the Hebrew word shalom. And the shalom of God. The shalom of God, which surpasses all understanding. This is bigger than knowledge. We live with a myth, with an illusion in our world today. Because we can Google anything on our phones. Because we have all knowledge at our fingertips. We think that we can do it all by ourselves. But here's the reality. There are things that Siri cannot give you. I actually tried this this week. Siri, give me peace. You know the first thing she said? I don't understand. Later, and I want to read this so I get it right. I did it again a couple days later just to double check. I said, Siri, give me peace. And she said, get this, that may be beyond my abilities at this moment. Beyond my abilities, yeah. The at this moment part had me a little freaked out. (laughs) But here's the reality. They can try, but they'll never be able to bring us things like peace. Why? Because it passes knowledge. 
It goes greater and deeper and bigger and wider, right, than just what we're even able to comprehend. There is a peace that is deeper and fuller, and that peace is available to us only in the gospel. And so that peace of God, which surpasses its greater than just knowledge, will do what? It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I love the practicality of this. Paul's under house arrest, who's standing outside his door, Roman soldiers. This word guard literally means garrison, as in a garrison of Roman soldiers. So he's not just saying, right, there's just one, but there's a whole bunch. The average Roman garrison at the time was about 500 soldiers. So think about this. When you follow biblical truth, What's guarding your heart and your mind is a whole garrison of Roman soldiers and you get to be awfully tough to get through that. That's the protection and the power that we have. And so we know that God gives us that promise and we need to hold on to that promise. We need to stop trying to do our things, things our way and do them his. And this leads us to the third point, right? If this is the defensive, if this is the don't worry, then what do we do to go on the offensive? Here is our third point this morning. The battle for peace begins into the mind, begins in the mind, and it leads us to action. So Paul is going to help us to understand, right? Don't worry. Here's what you need to guard against. But in order to be proactive against worry, here's the way you need to think. Here's the way that you need to live. This word that he gives us for dwell or to think on these things is a word that is derivative. It's similar to our English word algorithm. Just like you have to sit down and, and figure out a math problem. In the same way, you've got to apply intention and effort, right? To figure out how to guide your heart and your mind in this direction. And he begins these little two verses with this word at the beginning of verse 8. Finally, if you look back in Philippians, Philippians chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, finally. And so like any good preacher, right, Paul uses this term way too early. And so this gives rise to a little joke that a pastor in a sermon said, and finally. And so this little boy leaned over to his dad and said, dad, what does it mean when a pastor says finally? And the dad said, absolutely nothing, son. True. Paul's got like another sermon and a half to go. We got like another half of two thirds of a chapter of Philippians four here, right? But he says, so finally, brothers and sisters, here are the whatevers. Whatever is true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just and pure, whatever's lovely and commendable. If there's any moral excellence, if there's anything praiseworthy, here it is. Dwell on these things. Focus on these things. Here's what's amazing to me, a little research this week from our preaching team produced the fact and the reality that, again, as we can come and grow to expect, Paul was millennia ahead of his time in understanding how the brain works. See, the human brain, what you have between your ears, is one of God's most magnificent creations. That brain that God gave you has between 12 and 14 billion cells. Each of those cells interact with 10,000 other cells at a time. It has unparalleled power. There's enough power in your brain to operate a thousand switchboards that are controlling the air traffic, right? All of the communications from the entire city of New York, if you wanted to put it in those terms. I don't know about you, but for me, I like the old joke. My mind is more like an internet browser. I've got 26 tabs open, five of them are frozen, and I have no idea where the music's coming from. But regardless, your brain is a wonder. And one of the things that we're discovering, and here's a picture of a mind map of what this looks like from researchers, is a concept called neuroplasticity. Anybody ever heard of this before? 
Basically, what it means is, is that the more you think a thought, the more the neurons in your brain develop a pathway for that way of thinking. Like a well-worn hiking trail, the more it's hiked, the more clearer, the deeper the grooves become. In the same way, when you think the same thought patterns, they become established in your mind. So guess what happens? The more you worry, the more easy it is for you to worry. The more negative thoughts you have, the more easy it is for you to become negative because your brain instantly goes there. The more positive thoughts you have, the more easy it becomes in a moment, right, when faced with a circumstance to say, well, hey, let's take that thought captive in Christ Jesus, 2 Corinthians 10.5. And so it just bears repeating that Paul knew what he was writing through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So for followers of Jesus, how we go on the offensive against worry is, is that we don't dwell on the things that pull us away from God. Instead, we are pulled towards Christ-like character. Paul takes these virtues and he lists them. And I love this way of thinking. If you think about what we're supposed to think about, it also implies that what I would call the discipline of refusal. There's also things we're not supposed to think about or dwell on or be consumed by. So think about what is true. Don't dwell on what's false. Do you know how important that is in our world today? In which there are so many falsehoods that abound? And we're so tempted, right, to run with false information. And we're tempted, right, to jump to conclusions. We need to know what is true. And we know what is true is Jesus. He is truth personified. He's given us his truth in his word. So the more we meditate it, the more we feast on it, your mind, instead of going to that anxious thought, goes to what? Scripture. It's exactly what Jesus used in his own temptation in the wilderness. Satan tempted him. Jesus did what? His mind went, Scripture. And that's what he quoted to resist the enemy. That's why we need to know God's word. We need to know what is true. We need to think about what's honorable, not dishonorable. There's all kinds of dishonorable stuff in our world today. And our culture does what? It holds it up. It celebrates it. It's in our movies. It's in our music. It's in our television shows. It's all around us. As Christians, when we're saying, I'm not going to dwell on that stuff. I'm not going to give my mind to that stuff. Instead, what is honorable? What builds up instead of tears down? What promotes good instead of distracts from it? Think about what's honorable, not dishonorable. Think about what's just, what's morally right, not what's unjust. And so how do we deal with the injustices in our world? Well, we confront them with the truth. We confront them with justice. We confront them with what's honorable and what's good and what's morally excellent. That's how we deal with injustice not by dwelling on the unjust. Think about what's lovely, not repulsive. I mentioned earlier, God's woven beauty into the fabric of our world. There are so many good things to focus on, but instead our culture, we move towards what's debased, what's repulsive, what's gross, what's dark. Instead, train your mind to think about what's lovely. Think about what's commendable, not wrong. What's morally excellent, not filthy. Think about what's, not, uh, what's admirable, not shameful. And all of a sudden you begin to realize, wow, we can wear that pathway in a way that our minds and our hearts are guided towards who? Jesus. Love one commentator who points out all eight of these qualities. They're summed up in one name. You heard it sung over here earlier. What is that name? Jesus. And so it's easy to be overwhelmed, right? That's a lot of things, Paul, to keep up with. Jesus. 
when he's our focus, when we take every thought captive in him, when we follow Paul's instructive in Romans chapter 12 to not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of what? The mind. And we renew our minds as we dwell on what's true, what's honorable, what's commendable, what's lovely, what's praiseworthy, what's excellent. So that battle for the mind, it begins here and it leads to action. Because what does Paul say? Well, do what you have learned and received and heard from me and seen in me. And again, the promise. And what? The God of peace, shalom, will be with you. I love that. And the God of peace will be with you. So as we come to this time of response today, I want to quickly give you a few handles. Just to remind you, right, of these same imperatives again. Here's what we can do. Here are our takeaways. Number one, fight for your joy. As I said, you're not going to feel joyful every day. But what Paul is saying is, is there is something in the gospel in Jesus Christ to be grateful and thankful for. So fight for it. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Yes, thank you. Remember that. Hold on to it. Fight for it. Because we have a world today that wants to beat the joy out of us at every turn. It doesn't mean to be superficially happy. But it means that there's a deep, deep joy that we experience because we know who's in control. We know who's sovereign. Number two, be gracious to others because God was first gracious to us. Just remember God's goodness to you and extend that to others. One of the things that's made my heart heavy, especially in the last couple of years, is to watch how ungracious the church has been, not only with the watching world, but even with one another. Remember, this is a sign that the gospel has been at work in our own hearts and lives, that we can extend grace to others because that grace was first given to us. And number three, pray with what? With thanksgiving. We pray with thanksgiving is our third takeaway because you don't have to keep carrying around everything that's giving you anxiety. You don't have to keep carrying around that burden. Instead, for a lot of us, that missing ingredient in prayer is Thanksgiving. Pretty timely with the holiday that's coming up to be thinking about Thanksgiving. But the reality is, is a lot of us, right, we just come to God with our laundry list of prayer requests. And we forget to be thankful. So be sure you put that ingredient in there and watch your prayer life be transformed. Watch your levels of anxiety and fear go down as they are confronted with the greatness of our God and the deep resources of the gospel. So here's how I want us to respond today. I want you to, again, take your Bibles, take your phones, take your notepads, journals, put them beside you. Make your seat an altar. I want you to put your feet flat on the floor. Because today we want to make this exchange, right? This is what Paul is teaching us. That we can exchange our anxiety, our worry, for what? The peace of God that is in Christ Jesus. And so today I want you to simply ask the Spirit, to reveal to you what is your greatest source of anxiety? What is your greatest worry and concern? What is it that's heavy on your heart as you walked in here today? This is part of what makes God holy, 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 is he knows, he hears, he cares. And so today, name that anxiety. Name that worry. 
What do you even sit there today and it's dividing your heart and your mind right now? You're anxious about something this week. You're anxious about a health diagnosis. You're anxious about a loved one. You're anxious about a child or a parent. You're anxious about your bank account. You're anxious about a relationship. What is it? Will you name it today? And today, will you bring it to the throne? Will you cast your burdens on God because he cares? And today, would you make the exchange of your anxiety for the peace of God that passes our ability to even understand it? But we know it's true because his word promises that it's true. So today, if you're ready to make that exchange, nobody's looking around but me. But would you just put your hand up and surrender and just say, I'm ready. I'm ready. Would you pray for me and my anxiety that I would replace it with the peace of God? Amen. Today, would you say it? I need help with my fear. I need help with my worry. And I'm ready to trade it for the peace that passes understanding. Amen. Praise God. Yes. That promise is for all of us who are in Christ Jesus. So Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for Paul's practical, timely application for us. We admit we live in an anxious world and there are anxieties that are filling our backpack each and every day. Would we bring them to you with thanksgiving, knowing that what you have done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ is greater than anything that we could ever do for ourselves. So we run to you today, Father, with these trees. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Let's continue our time of worship.